Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you continue us on this path as we seek, Lord, to understand the process of your kingdom and us here on earth as we grow and mature in our faith. Father, that we want to grasp and hold and grow and reach and, Father, expand the pegs of our tents, not just for prosperity, Lord, but for our faith and for our well-being. And as Apostle Paul said, that your peace rests within us as we know and are confident that we are strong in you. We thank you for that, Lord. So, Father, bless this short time we have together and allow this to be another stepping stone as we build upon from last week unto you be all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you weren't here last week, we started on a series uh, that I've entitled Take a Walk on the Wild Side of New Creation Living. Now, uh, that might throw you off a little bit, um, and then again, uh, you might catch up to that as we move on further. I've been using a teaching tool, and uh, through the wonders of technology and, uh, and our director of media, uh, Dwayne, who says I spell his name wrong, how about everybody turn around and say hi to Dwayne and bless him for what a blessing he is to the church. And uh, he tolerates me, which is his greatest challenge because he never knows at what time or what day I'll be reaching out to him. And, uh, you know, he's supposed to have a day off, but since I don't, he doesn't either. So we just, uh, I just agitate him. Uh, and he takes it very well. And, uh, and, and we appreciate that. Uh, excuse me while I'm uh, using my handkerchief, but uh, there's just a sniffle, a little bit of a cold trying to come upon me. It's not going to get there. And uh, I refuse to take anything forward because I might go to La La Land and join a few of the others of you who sleep through my sermons. So uh, with that said, I, I, I drank a cup of strong coffee and took an aspirin. And with the grace of God, we're going to pound through this. But uh, we, I'm not going to review everything that we went through last week. We started uh, with a prayer out of Ephesians 1 in 15 through 23 that Paul wrote. I want to just emphasize that what we said out of that was that Paul was praying that the Father of glory might give to you, to us, to you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, emphasis was on spirit. Spirit is how we receive wisdom and revelation. We learned and emphasized that reading the Word without the revelation of the Spirit can be informative, and people can study and go to seminary and get all kind of degrees and have a wonderful education and speak in all kind of languages, in Aramaic and Greek and whatever, uh, in Hebrew, but not really receive the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. We're calling upon spirit. Why? Because God is a spirit. And those of us must learn to worship him in spirit and in truth. And then also it unlocks the riches of his glory, as you read in those scriptures, to us. And the riches of his glory, with it comes the inheritance of the saints. Now there are many who look forward to an inheritance that is in heaven. And that's a wonderful thing, to
to look for an inheritance in heaven, but it's shortchanging the walk in the Spirit of God here on earth. And Jesus said that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He was being practical. He was talking about here on earth. We've also learned that, and it's one of the themes of our ministry, and uh, Pastor Laura Lee and Pastor Patty and others of you co-pastor with them at times, uh, they have a weekly internationally televised program that is called New Creation Women. And that's a foundation and a basis of our walk. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, I'd like us to look at it again, we are going to reinforce these principles of our faith so that you become steadfast in them. Because as you do, then the baseline of your faith will grow and become stronger, and we'll deal with that. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and I would assume that all that are here today at least have a passion to be in Christ, if you're not yet, and those online, and uh, we'll deal with that in a moment as we get towards the end, we'll have a call. But in this instance, if you are in Christ, then you are a new creation, and it's not a new creation just at the moment that you receive Christ or the moment that you got baptized or even the moment that you were born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it is a process. It's progressive, which means that every element of you and God in God is designed to continually grow. You've never arrived completely to where you're going to be. And in that sense, it says that if you are that new creation and you are in Christ, then old things have passed away. Old things equivalent to the character and nature of the old man that is inside of each and every person prior to that person being born again. And in that instance, that has passed away. Now, in my walk, uh, with the Lord, my passing of the old man was very, very emotional, uh, and, and it was striking. And as I was learning and receiving Christ, and had just come to the awareness of him, and early on in my walk, um, I, I, I realized that I was dying, and I was in my home alone on, on, on Selma Avenue, where the Lord had sequestered me away in the beginning and kept me there for a year, and I sensed death come upon me. And I knew I was dying. And it just happened to be at that moment that my mother phoned me. And she said, how are you? And I had the greatest peace in the world. Can you imagine what I did to that poor woman? And, and I said, mom, I'm dying. And she said, what? She said, I'm dying. She says, what do you mean you're dying? I said, a spirit of death is upon me. And I know I don't have long. I'm dying. Well, she didn't know what to do, so she did what only she could do. She sent my father over quickly, who had no clue what was going on. And he came running in the door. He said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, I'm fine. I'm dying. He said, what? And he put me in his arms, and he felt the spirit of death in the house, and he cried out, Lord, save my son. Guess what happened? The old man died. And I felt the old man die. And I felt this new birth come inside of me. 
and I had great peace and great joy. And I assume that the Lord allowed that to happen to me so that I could preach this with passion that the old man, or if you prefer the old woman, it's not gender specific, is dead. It's gone. And, and it has been buried in baptism. And that's what the scripture means, that you have been buried with him in baptism, the old man, and have been resurrected with him in resurrection. And in that instance, we understand that you're now a new creature. And if we're a new creature, then what it says is all things have become new. Now, it doesn't immediately eradicate all of the consequences of the old man. It takes some time. It takes some challenges. It takes some conviction and mindset and some resolution. And God has to intervene many times in relationships that were soured and broken and sins and problems, etc., but God will do it because, as we're going to learn in our baseline faith, you are in the ministry of reconciliation where he reconciles all things unto you. And it's not just for you to have a ministry to reconcile all things. You are progressing in that ministry of, recon of reconciliation. Now, here's the good news. Behold, all things have become new, and maybe you want to put in there because... Now, because now, in this instance in your life, not just when you receive Christ, and not just at some epiphany moment in your walk, but right now, every moment, every second, every minute, every present now that you're breathing here on this earth, now all of these things are of God. I don't think that's soaking into you. Let it hit for a second. Things. Paul didn't know what else to call it. He had no other idea what to say. All he could say was, everything, all things are now of God if you're a new creature. That means that the perspective you have shouldn't be the same perspective that you had. More so important, it means that your expectation should be much keener and much broader and much more demanding. Your expectation of what God has for you should not be in any way formed by your experiences of what was, not even just last week, but in the present now. Because it says that he's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're reconciled in God, correct, then everything, everything has God stuff. Everything, everything that God intends for you, his best and perfect will, has God's stuff. It has all of his fingerprints on it for you. Not some things. Not just, you know, some people get this delusion that God is involved in this, but God isn't involved with that. He's only not involved in everything if you keep him out. But if you allow the Lord to be involved in everything... God is in it because all things, all things have been reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. And he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Now, there was a time when I equated to that like restoring people to each other or just being a good encourager or being a balm of Gilead and an oil or an exhorter or something like that. No, no. 
No. When he says ministry in this end, he's not just talking about what you do and minister as a priest of God. He's talking about your mantle. He's talking about what makes you who you are, what constitutes your new divine being. Didn't Peter say that we are partakers of the divine being? We're eating of the divine being. We're part of the divine being. So everything that's stitched into your mantle has the, the law of the kingdom of God for reconciliation. To whom? To God. It must reconcile to God. That's why the trees of the hill clap their hands. That's why when Christ was given up the ghost on the cross, all of creation mourned and it turned dark. That's why Jesus said that if they were to withhold their praise for me as he was walking into Jerusalem on the, on the, on the back of a donkey, he said the rocks would stand up and clap because all things are reconciled to Christ. I don't think you're grasping what I'm saying to you. That means that in any circumstance you go into, you may not see it that day, you might not feel it that moment, but you can be assured that that thing is going to work to your ultimate good, as Romans 8.28 says, because it doesn't have any choice. It must reconcile to God because working inside of you in your mantle, come on now, is a ministry that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit speaking through you and into you and making all things conform to Jesus Christ. Now, that's faith. That takes faith, doesn't it? And that's why part of what we're doing is reestablishing, clarifying what I have named baseline faith. Now, if you're under a medical challenge, and, or they just want to take your vital statistics, right? They want to establish your baseline. What's your baseline? Your baseline for cholesterol, your baseline for your heartbeat, your baseline for your blood pressure. Your blood pressure may not be the same as mine. What may be normal for you may not be normal for me. My grandfather, and somewhat me, uh, have athletic hearts. You know what that means? They beat slower. They don't beat as long. Well, if your heart was beating at 50 or 60, you might get scared. But if it's natural because that's what your heart beats at, that is your baseline. And when they're trying to establish something to find out how you progress under medications or treatments or healings or whatever it is, they establish a baseline. And then they begin to see what's the difference in the baseline. How many white cells do you have compared to what you had? How many things are happening in your blood and in your body that weren't happening? What's the capacity of your lung as it is now as it was before? How are your kidneys operating now before they operated? So is our spiritual being. It has a baseline. And that baseline is first formulated with what I call baby faith. Now... Baby faith is when you simply say, I believe in God. That's baby faith. You say, but pastor, that's monumental. Yes, it is, but it's baby faith. Because the devils believe in God too. Everything that has any sense in it all understands God is real. Right? They understand God is real. And some of them believe in a different God. 
They're not even claiming the same God. A higher power is not our God. He's the highest power. There are higher powers that aren't God. And there are gods that aren't God. The God of the Quran is not the God of our gospel. The Hindu gods and the three million Buddhist gods, those aren't gods. Those are just man-made things. Our God is the only God, Adonai, Eloheinu, the only living God. So it's baby faith to say, I believe in the only living God. That's good. That establishes the baseline. But if you stay there, then you're not really walking in a faith that overcomes. You're just walking in a faith that holds on. And isn't it a shame that some people are holding on in a weak faith just to make their way out of this world into heaven? Just holding on. Ah, it's never going to get any better, but someday I'm going to be out of all of this. Well, that's a good faith to have, but that's not a faith that conquers. That's not a faith that has victory. And guess what happens with that kind of faith? You never have peace. You never have joy. You never rest. You're always striving. You're always waiting for that moment when you can escape and get out. I call that baby faith. Now, baby faith is important because it is the first building block to our baseline, right? But there are many building blocks to our baseline. Now, old things are passed away. All things are made new. And behold, there's a spiritual awakening in our life. When we are born again, there's a spiritual awakening. And that spiritual, <coughs> excuse me, awakening isn't one that stops. It's supposed to be activated. It's supposed to go on and on and on and on, always progressing. There's a scripture in Ephesians 3.20. In fact, we should probably go back a little further than 3.20. Let's go back to 3.18, Ephesians 3.18, if we can, please. And, and, and read it progressively, 318, 319, and 320. Go back further, I think 316. One more. One more. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Notice that Paul knows who the source is. The Father of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to get into some great big theological debate about who's more powerful, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. What is the source of all? Because they're inseparable. They're one. But they're three persons in one. And we understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, but he's also God. Is that not true? But Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because even Jesus himself says, we glorify the Father. And in so doing, we understand that in our faith, in our faith, yes, it's good to know Jesus and to pray. You know, pray. There's a praying hand, another praying hand. Just eat it. Okay. Praying hands in Jesus Christ. Do you know that the first time I went to our little church under the tree at that time in Sambaru, Kenya, and uh, that's when young man Vincent 
had just gotten out of a six-month seminary school, and he was literally living on a bench in the middle of a field under a tree. His clothes were under the bench. That was his bed. That was his meeting place. That was his pulpit. And the only people he was preaching to was a couple wild animals and a few birds. And he reached out, found us, found me, and Jimmy had just opened up our website. We decided to call it Touch Heaven, and he was so excited because the first person that reached out to Touch Heaven was this guy in the middle of the jungle in Sambaru who used his last little coin to go to a, a, an internet store down in a little village called Archer's Post and put in it Heaven. And when it did, up popped Touch Heaven. And he reached out, and Jimmy came running in my office. Hey, we got somebody. Somebody reached out to us, some guy in Africa. I said, oh, man, what are we going to do with that? And the Lord immediately said, take him as a son. Told me that, point blank. Help him, establish him, for I've called him. Not long later, I was there. And uh, I met him under the, on the bench under the thing, and we had a little bit of a meeting, and the meeting grew. And um, in that instance we realized that God was moving in a mighty way and it started off with just a little bit of faith. And in, let's go back to the scripture, please. There we go. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I was praying, I listened and the Lord said, you're talking too much, you're not listening enough. So I got quiet and I stepped back and I let them do the praying and I realized they had no relationship or comprehension of Father God, just Jesus. And I stopped everything. I said, listen, I want to impart fatherhood to you. I want you to understand that you're not an orphan spirit, but that the Father, the Father is the ultimate source. And we prayed. I couldn't even get into it. We started off with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come here on earth. Boom, the power hit. We were all down on our face for about the next five, six hours is God imparted fatherhood to that part of the world. And in that sense that he had given us that sphere of influence. So many people need to realize and understand that, yes, we love Jesus, we move in Jesus. I will never, ever reduce or mitigate the power of the name of Jesus. I love the Messiah. We need the Messiah. But we must also honor the Father. And so Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Next scripture from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, to whom the whole family is named to the Father. You become children of the Father. You have a brotherhood with Jesus, who's also your God. You have a sonship with him to the Father, who's also our God. And the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Next. That he would grant you, grant you, listen to me, grant. What is a grant? A grant is a title to something. A grant means that it's been given to you and that you have a title deed to it. According to the riches of his glory. How big is that grant? It's according to the riches of a glory. How big is his glory? Incomprehensible. God is glory. The spirit of God is glory. When Jesus Christ became man, what he gave up was his glory. What he prayed back in in John 17, 5 was he said, I pray that you give me the glory that I had with you always so that he might again be redeemed as the son of God. So the glory is the ultimate. 
the ultimate God stuff. It's who God is. It's what he is. And he says that he would grant you according to the riches of this glory. Not just some glory, but the riches of the glory to what? Be strengthened with might through his spirit. Now remember, we said that this wisdom and this knowledge comes by spirit. Here's Paul saying that he will grant you according to his riches that you be strengthened with might through his spirit where in the inner man what's the inner man the new man the new creation that is your funnel to god there is a funnel to god which is spiritual which moves between you and him as it's flowing back and forth and that funnel is your capacity, your spigot, your faucet, your river, your fountain, your lifeline to the riches of the glory of God, not when you go in the great by and by, but for the present now, for the very present now. Now, if you're like me, you say, wow, that's great information. Now, put that building block with the other building blocks that you believe in God, that you're born again in a new creature, and now that you have a fountain that never turns off all the way to God, put that on your baseline. Listen to me. You will forget it unless you renew it. That's why we renew our mind. You will forget that the moment that you're challenged. The moment that you are getting challenged and your faith is getting questioned and something's come against you and you just blew it. You know, you said the wrong things, you did the wrong things, you blew a fuse, you got angry, you, whatever it was, whatever it is, if you put that in your baseline and you eat it and eat it and eat it and establish yourself upon it, then you can come to the point that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got the Holy Ghost all over me. Because that fountain of the inheritance of the saints, which is how, how valuable is it? What quality is it? How good is it? It's the riches of his glory. You know what the riches of his glory is? The best God stuff. The best God stuff. It's better than any prophet received. It's better, listen to me, than what John the Baptist received. John the Baptist wasn't born again until he resurrected. Christ resurrected his spirit into the heavenly places. No person was born again until Christ was born again. Not a one, but you are. So that means here on this earth, you have a fountain of the riches of glory that's greater than anybody that wrote in this book until you get to the New Testament. Now you get to the New Testament and all these guys can do is blabber. Oh, the wonders of Christ, the amazement of God. They're trying to convince people of the power that we have, the faith that we need. And the baseline faith grows and grows and grows and grows. One of the most striking examples how about Peter, right? We love to pick on Peter. Peter picked on himself. Nobody stuck their foot in their mouth more than Peter. There's Peter. And they wanted to say, and they did say, who's this guy preaching, this dumb fisherman? And in our mindset, 
we sort of categorize him as somebody maybe not quite as bright a light as somebody else. Maybe Luke had it a little better, the physician. Huh? Or how about Matthew, the tax collector? He's a mathematician. He got, he got it right. And how about Paul? Nobody could touch Paul. And John, who was the brother of Jesus, come on, he had to have some DNA in there somewhere. Something was going on. No, Peter had a transformation. And upon that rock I will build my church. You know what that tells me? That God can use somebody as busted up, as misled, as lost, as confused, as wasting time, as me, as he can as Peter. And so can he use you. And I think about this with Peter. This is the one that's most dramatic of all. Jesus, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be here. Don't you go to the cross. Don't you go to Jerusalem. You don't need to go. Get behind me. Jesus, I got you. I'm by your side. I got my sword. My sword's sharp. It's ready to go. They come to get Jesus. He, rah, macho man, takes the sword and cuts off the soldier's ear. Whacks his ear off. If he whacked his ear off, you know what that tells me? He was trying to get him in the head. Nobody goes for the ear. And the guy probably went like this and he got an ear. What Jesus do? Picked up the ear put it back on the soldier and healed it. He got Peter out of trouble. Now what happens? The soldier goes back and Herod says, what happened? Well, he cut off my ear. No, he didn't. It looks fine. No, he cut it off. You don't understand, but Jesus healed. Don't you say Jesus healed anything. We're going to kill him. Same thing for you and I. Picks up the pieces, puts them back on. And the world doesn't really want to admit that Jesus put you and me back together because then they have to admit that Jesus is Lord. They got a choice. They're in a dilemma. I love it when, I mean, I used to not like it, but I have to admit that sort of gets, my, gets me going a little, gets my blood percolating when, when these crazy detractors from, and they watch, right wing watch and Huffington Post and Rolling Stone and all those names and when, or even Newsweek when they come against me or come against people like me and they want to mock us but then when all of a sudden what we've said or done becomes true they're, they're so quiet and you send it to them and they still won't put it in because then they have to admit that somewhere in this mashugana in this crazy local mind there's a God working and doing something. And there's Peter. Peter who's now hiding in the shadows of a bonfire coming out of a barrel, trying to stay warm in earshot of the persecution and prosecution of Jesus Christ. And those that are there mocking, those that are there to watch him get prosecuted and killed, they point him and say, hey, you were with him. You were one of those. You, weren't you with him? No, not me. Yes, you were. And he curses. <laughs> we work on a construction site. A lot of cursing goes on sometimes. You know, you, you don't sit there and judge everybody. And you don't tell them that 
who they are and what they are because they carry that spirit with them. You have to be, you have to man up and just let it go like this and just show people who you are by what you are. So Peter convinces him with a curse that he's not the one. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he denied him the three times. And you know the story, the testimony. Jesus resurrects him, tells the good women, tell my disciples and Peter, I'm coming. And then what's Peter do? Jesus is on the shore, having a little campfire, starts a little fire, baking a few fish, a little bit of bread. Peter looks, and he looks off from his boat. He said, that's Jesus. He really did come back. And the way the word is written, he throws off his cloak, gets naked, throws off the old man, swims to Jesus. Can you imagine when he sat down at that fire to break bread with Jesus Christ? I believe he was instantly born again. I believe Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, son. Now, let's get back to what you're called for. Because you know why? That mantle that he had on didn't fit him anymore. He had to throw it off. He couldn't swim with it. He would have drowned. He had to get rid of it because Jesus was stitching a new mantle for him. And then I have the Holy Ghost all over me. And in that new mantle was all the potential that Jesus had prophesied over him already. And Peter's baseline faith went from somebody who spoke but didn't walk the talk to somebody now who was passionately going to learn how to walk the talk. And in that sense, we understand what happened later to where Peter, as Josephus tells us, said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like the Lord was. As history tells us, some say, he chose to be crucified upside down. And I think in that moment, it was a little bit of atonement for him. Even though he knew he was forgiven, he wanted to say to the Lord, it's the best I can give you. I'm not going to go the way you went. You're the only one worthy of the cross. They want to put me on one. I'm going upside down. Let's get it over quick. Baseline faith. Baseline faith forever grows. It's never done. I want us to learn together some of the practical applications that go along with the spiritual awakening of baseline faith. We talked last week about calling. And we looked at scriptures. And we understood that our calling is not a vocation. Now, maybe you'll understand a little bit better why I've come to the conclusion that a teaching that says there are apostles of seven mountains is fallacy. Take it for what you want. It's a fad, everybody loves it, and people are going all around, and one of my dear friends is one of the 
first authors of it, who told him to his face, I don't walk in that. Because calling is not a vocation. Just because you're the president of a university and somebody says, well, here's how that stuff works. Not that I want to teach it and get into it, but maybe I have to unteach it in some of you. And you don't like it too bad. Mountain, 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 mountain. Each one of those mountains is assigned to a function of our human society, education, entertainment, uh, medical, science, on and on. And so somebody who attains a, a position, an influence, a sphere of influence within one of those mountains is then granted an apostleship. That's a vocation. That's not a calling. It's a calling to do the things that God gives you to do and do them well, I understand that. But in that calling, that doesn't put an office in the Ephesians 4 ministry. The Ephesians 4 ministry is very clear. You have apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. And within there rests callings. Callings are made to minister. A vocation is part of our function, absolutely. You know if somebody's a gifted teacher. They're a gifted teacher. But it's because they apply the calling of God into their vocation. Not that their vocation is the calling of God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Now, I'm very good. Very good. It's one of the things I'm very good at is putting big deals together. I help people do that. God gave me that gift. That's not my calling. My calling is in the midst of all that, I have all faith to declare God. I give all glory to God. I'm not ashamed of God in the midst of what I do. And I believe God through it, and I use my faith to persevere and to climb a mountain and get to a place where it needs to go. I like once what E.W. Kenyon said. He called it hitchhiking faith. And he was talking to a person who said, I, I wish I had your faith. I just can't get there. He goes, climb on board, hitchhike my faith. I will take you to that place. But when I, once I get you there, you need to stay there. I can't keep you there. That's baseline. God will use many people and many things in our walk to help us to improve our baseline. But once we get there, we can't rest on that person. You have to rest on the new faith that God has taken you to in God, not in that person. That's why sometimes I've learned that I used to wear myself out. Somebody would call me to pray for them for something. Then they'd call me to pray for them for the same thing again. Then they'd call me to pray. i say, hey, I'm done. I believed with you. I can't keep being your faith. You need to believe. Well, that's pretty mean. No, that's pretty God. I'm not your God. And I've had to do the same thing with some of our churches out in the world. Because we start meeting their needs and then pretty soon they just keep asking us to meet their needs. And pretty soon we're their source. And Patty will tell you, we've cut them off. Say, nope, that's it. Not now unless the Lord tells 
but what am I going to do? You're going to go to your source, the Father in heaven, and your faith's going to grow, and you're going to understand that he's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And so your baseline faith must adjust, and your baseline faith must grow. And beloved, it's okay, you know, it's like we always have to put a sizzle on the stick to the gospel, you know? The gospel's pure and simple and true in its own. We don't need to try to improve it. We don't need to expand it into humanism. We don't need to conform it to our society. Society needs to conform to the gospel. And people are trying to do that in churches and in denominations. They're trying to adjust to numbers. They're trying to adjust to fads. They're trying to say sweet things. They're afraid of being accused of all kind of isms. Too many isms going around right now. This ism, that ism, that ism, anti that, anti this. And hey, there's one spirit. It's the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. One blood, one God, one faith, one body. Now within that body, there are many members and we'd studied this and we did this. We did this exhaustively for 25 weeks, the spheres of the influence of God. Somewhere in there is your sphere of influence. God may give you a sphere of influence that has got a, a, a smaller dominion intended to grow. And within that sphere of influence, you're operating in another sphere of influence. And that sphere of influence is meant to feed your sphere. And that influence is growing from this influence. And that influence is growing from this influence. And there are other ones that cross over. And ultimately, it's all in Christ. So, if you've got a whole bunch of books on the seven mountains, take them out and burn them or give them. So I don't know what to tell you to do with them. And quit buying them. I'm just being blunt. I don't care. I'm not running for anything. I'm not asking to be invited to anything. I don't care. Isn't it good to come to that place where you just don't care? It's a good feeling, isn't it? I don't mean to offend anybody, but hey, truth is truth. You have to speak truth. And I'll tell you something. I, with passion, defend, defend the holiness of my God with passion. My God is so holy. Your God is so holy. He's a holy God. And we should not be trying to transfer His holiness into our own philosophies. In fact, I believe it tells us from such things, withdraw and don't get involved in these vain philosophies. Why do we have to build a kingdom for God that God didn't build? Why do we have to tell God or tell people this is God's way when it isn't God's way? Or even if we're not sure it's not God's way, shame on us if we try to say it is. Isn't it interesting? Here's Paul. I don't know why I have to do this, but i got to do this. Here's Paul. Here's Paul on earth. You know what I liked about Paul? He worked. And it never said he quit working. In fact, it said that his co-workers who co-ministered with him worked with him. They made tents. He was a tent maker. Tent maker. 
But on the other hand, he was apostle. He never said, I'm the apostle of tent making. I have a new mountain. And my mountain is tent making. I am the number one stitcher. You want to stitch, you come in my mountain. Eh. But he said with boldness, I'm an apostle of God. And because I am, he said, I serve as the least of all. He put humility into it. He put the heart of a servant into it. He said, follow this example. You have many teachers, but you have very few fathers. It's because very few fathers are humble. There's like this contest going on. <laughs> I have to call it a contest because it is. It's sort of funny at times. It's ridiculous. I need a spiritual father and a spiritual mother. Yeah. And um, that's my spiritual father. Really? How often are you with him? Oh, I'm not. I send him money on television. Oh, do you? They really know you, huh? They know who you are. They care about you. They treat you like a son or a daughter. They pray for you. They cry for you. You can turn to them and they're there. But this world, this system of the business of the ministry, it's like if you don't have somebody that's somebody that's a spiritual father, you're nobody. You've got to have one. I've had people reach me. I have no clue who they are. The Lord told me you're my spiritual father. I said, good. Ten Skyline Canfield Church. See you there. Oh, no. No, I'm going to this church. Well, then go there. But he said, you're my spiritual father. I said, nah, I don't think it works that way. I said, you're drinking out of that trough. You drink from that trough. You want to drink out of this trough, you come drink from this trough. And those who are online, I know some of you are, you know, you're, you're part of this ministry and you drink from this trough and I'm humbled and I'm honored. And yes, we pray for you and we'd like to learn who you are. And some of you, we know who you are and we're gracious of it. And that's all good. I'm not knocking down the fact that geography can separate us. Vincent, the bishop, that's my son. Anwar is my son. Nita is my daughter. Their children are my granddaughters. They're our granddaughters. We have pastors in places that we help disciple. I may not see them all the time, but we are attached at the heart. And they accept and follow and believe what comes from this ministry. Now, it doesn't mean that getting fed in other spheres of influence is a bad thing. But to be honest with you, at that point, you become almost a hybrid orphan. You do. And so we need to understand in our baseline faith that we are fed by that faith, by the ultimate plan of God. And if there's a sphere of influence, now I'm going to call touch heaven a sphere of influence. We have a sphere of influence. Our sphere of influence isn't just geographic. Yes, it's located right here on 10 Skyline Drive in Canfield, Ohio, and then it goes to other places, and then it goes beyond that. I had a biker come up to me yesterday. He said, do you remember me? I said, I'm 
trying. He said, well, you prayed over me when my wife died about six years ago. I said, now I remember. How are you doing? I'm remarried. I'm doing great. I'm doing blessed. I watch you every week, and I get fed by it. I said, praise God. That's good. What are you doing? He said, I'm helping with recovery ministry. I said, bless God. But that's not a spiritual son. That's somebody who's feeding off the sphere of influence, what it has, and that's good. A spiritual son and a spiritual daughter, we're linked. We're in the same membership. We're working towards the same things. We're unified in the spirit. And we're meeting the calls of what God has for us as an organism. We're an organism within an organism, within a bigger organism that ultimately is in Christ. And when the body of Christ realizes that we are linked together in spheres of influence, then we can work in unity. And this is the bottom line for me when it comes to baseline faith. Baseline faith, we talked about building blocks and we'll establish more of them. But baseline faith is what a function for. First of all, it's practical, right? It's for you. To be able to have the faith that you need to exercise, to grow, and to overcome, and to be what God has called you to do. Number two, besides you, it's minister for God. Minister for others. Any faith that gets dysfunctional and where the ministry is more concerned about itself or the person or denomination, it's at a grave risk of canceling kingdom. Kingdom. It's all about God's kingdom. Our baseline faith should always have this mindset. Kingdom. That means that we're willing to sacrifice. That means we're willing to give. That means we're willing to tolerate and be patient. That means we're willing to forgive. That means we're willing to allow God to bless us with diverse people. That we understand that there are different gifts operating within the kingdom all intended for God's plan and purpose. So in my baseline faith, and as much as I press, as much as I honor time, and as much as I try to grab every second and minute and hour that I can out of a seven-day week of work and ministry, as much as I do all of that, this is what my filter is. Baseline faith is governed by your mind. And it needs filters. And my first filter is kingdom. If it's kingdom, I'm in. Or at least I'm enticed. If it's kingdom, I'm listening. If it's kingdom, I take it to the throne and say, Lord, what would you have me to do, if anything? But if it's not kingdom, I bless it and walk away. You see, that's the first filter. It makes life a little simpler because we get confused. And that's why Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. And you can wear yourself out. And people that do ministry to the poor, and that's all they do, God bless them. But I don't know about you, but I've had many of them come against me with a critical spirit and say, you should be doing more of this. 
And what would be my retaliation? Well, then you should be doing more of this. I say, thank you. God bless you. I'm kingdom. Because that's what God gave you to do. I could wear myself out doing that and not do what God's given me to do. Do you understand? Kingdom. Kingdom is your filter. Now, I'm going to stop here. And um, I'm just going to give you a little tease on baseline faith that we can come back to. Baseline faith, you always keep moving the goalposts further. This was your baseline. Now this is your baseline. This was your baseline. Now this is your baseline. Baseline faith grows. It grows by what you add to it and what you don't allow into it. We have a firm discipline in this ministry. It's a foundation of what we're establishing with our university and with our churches. And that is that we build upon the firm foundation of the Word, but always seeking fresh revelation. Without the revelation, you don't have the Spirit to grow on. If you don't have the Spirit to grow on, your baseline becomes stagnant. If your baseline becomes stagnant, then how can you take on the new things of the world and in your life if you're still trying to deal with it with an old deck of cards? It's not going to happen. So base, baseline faith grows and grows and grows. Baseline faith, which we'll deal with, allows you to identify your weapons and to keep them ready and armed. I'm not going to get into spiritual warfare too much right now. Baseline faith is governed by your mind. We're going to get into that. God has given you dominion. Do you know where people lose most of their dominion at? In the mind. They let the mind be led by other things. The flesh, the world, evil, imaginations, words that people say, words that people don't say, past, present, it's all in the mind. Your greatest dominion that breaches from earth to heaven is your mind. We'll deal with that. These are the issues that I wanted you to, and we're going to deal with it. Baseline faith. What about wavering versus steadfast? What about decided or double-minded? What about progressing versus stagnant? What about expecting versus status quo? What about levels of faith? We'll get into all of that as we build and understand more about baseline faith. What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that your faith is put into a mode of progressive action that will keep on multiplying. Everything God has created, including your new creation, is that so you can be a force of multiplication. Let every kind bring forth its own kind. Go throughout the earth and be fruitful. He wasn't just talking about physical birth and multiplying. 
I mean, it's nice to have babies, but having babies is having babies. We're talking about new creation people. We're talking about multiplying creatures of God. We're talking about a faith in ourselves that multiplies so that we grow and grow and grow and grow, transforming from a glory to a glory, strengthening the inner man. Not quite ever getting there, but always reaching for it. Knowing that someday you're going to attain it. And when you see Jesus, you will know him because you will be just like him. That's the ultimate goal. So, with that, with that, I would like to challenge you to pray some simple prayers. Begin to take this assessment of yourself. Do a little homework. You got all week. Take a little time. Go back to the moment that you can recollect that you were saved. Okay? When you said the prayer. Some of you say, well, I don't really know. Well, try to find out. At that moment that you crossed over from unbelief into belief in God and accepted Jesus Christ. And then take a couple steps backwards and see if you could find that maybe some faith was growing before that moment, but you just hadn't been enlightened in it. Because that will begin to show you the seeds of faith. Take it to the baseline where you accepted Christ and then begin to add to it. If it's one year, then divide it by months. See what you come up with. If it's years, then go into sections of years. And if you say, Pastor, it's been a lifetime, then sort out your life. Begin to identify those major moments when you can absolutely say that was an epiphany of faith. An epiphany is something that gives you a real awakening. It's something that you really understand and know that that's a change. That you really know that that's done something that's not just idle or common. It was major in your life. God rescued you. God healed you. God did something for somebody else. God got you through it. Begin to write down those moments of faith. Look at them. Ask the Holy Spirit to show more. And then stop it on Saturday. Come here Sunday. I'm not going to look at it. Come here with it yourself. And then let's begin to build upon that. Let's use that so that you can understand that those aren't just moments in time. Those are building blocks. Those are building blocks that God has sown into you, that he has ministered into you. It's part of your mantle for you to grow and to sustain and to be strong and to overcome. And let us also agree that we're going to have a greater respect for each other's diverse gifts in the sphere of the body of influence. Because with all due respect, I can't do what many of you do. Be honest with you, I don't even want to do what many of you do. I don't have the same passion that you have for the stuff that you do. And I, I look at you and I get amazed. I look at Alyssa, I said, my God, that woman, she never quits. She got a house full of kids. She, she, she gives, she gives, 
She gives. I, I, I said, Lord, I couldn't do what that woman does. He said, that's why she's here. Thank you. And I'm just picking on her, but thank all of you. We really appreciate what you do. And it's, I'm being honest with you. I feel blessed, but it's not for me. It's for the kingdom. Sonny, you know, just tutoring children how to play instruments. Because of you, four of those children whose parents don't even speak English are able now to practice with a guitar at home and a piano because that gift they have is coming out because of giving for the kingdom. I could go on and on. The people that are right now presiding over the children, God bless you. I'll be, I can't do that. I'm like, hey. I can't do that. But I sure respect that. And I see the value of that in lives that are being molded and formed by loving people who give of themselves unselfishly. That's the kingdom of God. Jeff and I sometimes we get off into a song righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. That's in the kingdom of God. That's supposed to be our peace in the kingdom. Righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. Well, thank you. Um, I sort of like this. You know, I, I like this. I told you I'm a preacher teacher. And, uh, that's how I'm going to preach and teach unless the Lord changes it. Can I do other stuff? Yeah, I could do other stuff. Who cares? Who cares? I can tell you this with my heart. And I'm not ashamed to tell you this is a father's heart. I so want your baseline faith to become so strong. I want your baseline strength to, to be so confident. I want it to be natural so that it's supernatural. I want your baseline faith to believe God for all things so that you declare things that aren't as they are. I want your baseline faith to be irresistible to anybody and everybody around you. I want your sphere of influence from your baseline faith to, to be contagious. And I want your baseline faith to give you a rich relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. That's what I want. That's my prayer. That's my passion. So by the grace of God, we're going to do it. We're going to get there. We're going to discern it. We're going to identify it. We're going to activate it. We're going to continue to push on and we're never going to quit. And we're going to believe God. And we're going to filter the things that need to be filtered. And we're going to do it not meaning to bring offense, but at the same time, not to accept things that aren't of God. 
just because somebody did. No. It's time for truth to prevail in all things.